My Seven Chakras, episode 268. If you want to become well, you need to look at the whole world as a community. You're going to do unto others you expect to be done to yourself. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, the show where we provide you ancient wisdom, inspiring stories, and action steps that can help you transform your life. So if you're new to the show, then I want to give you a warm, warm welcome. And before we actually begin today's episode, I've got a couple of announcements to make. Firstly, over the years, many of you have reached out wanting to support the show, right, in some way. So recently, I started a Patreon page for people that would like to support our movement. Visit my7chakras.com forward slash Patreon. That's my7chakras.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a platform that allows you to donate a small amount of money each month to support the expenses that go into creating this podcast, podcast production, graphics, and equipment. And this way, I'm able to provide you more number of episodes, higher quality content, and life-changing advice at your fingertips. To learn more, go to my7chakras.com forward slash Patreon, and you can get started for as little as $7. Also, if you haven't already downloaded our reading list based on books that have been recommended on the show, visit my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. Once again, to access this free downloadable PDF document, visit my7chakras.com forward slash reading list. And with that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Neeraj Nayak. Neeraj, are you ready to inspire? Of course. Great. Great. So Neeraj is a certified pharmacist from uh, the UK and he's a, uh, he turned an entrepreneur and a holistic wellness expert after healing himself from a chronic illness using Ayurvedic practices and dietary adjustments. He felt motivated to share his knowledge with suffering patients. He started the renegadepharmacists.com to educate readers about the science behind popular holistic healing methods like breathwork, sauna and natural medicines. He also runs a global breathwork community and is known as the author of the one of the most viral infographics in recent history uh, which is entitled what happens to your body after you drink a can of coke and we're going to have a great conversation today and there are so many different topics that i'd like to explore Uh, but thanks a lot for joining me uh today neeraj uh great to be here Aditya. great awesome so uh we always start our show with an inspiring quote so if you had to share what is your favorite inspirational quote these days and how do you apply it in your life okay well there's somebody i've been uh, closely following uh in the last year who i call a renegade doctor because i'm i'm i consider myself as a renegade pharmacist somebody who challenges the status quo and i was really really pleasantly um like surprised to find that they are not alone because this is quite a lonely world actually uh, doing what i do there's a an amazing doctor 
uh, from India called Dr. B.M. Higde. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is one of the most famous doctors in India. He's won the Padma Bhushan Award and many, many other awards. I actually like bow down to him because I think he saved me a lot of um, work. Uh, I just like, I'm very inspired by what he does. So I've just really taken on as much information from him as possible by studying all his books. And, and I urge everyone who's interested in health to, to follow him as well. But his best quote, um, which I, I just think is amazing and so simple, is that everyone's looking for wellness, right? And if you take the first two letters of wellness, what do we get? We get we, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you take the first letter of the word illness, what do you get? I, you get I. So if you want to become well, you need to look at the whole world as a community and that you're a part of this wider community and that you're going to do unto others you expect to be done to yourself, all right? And uh, if you're an I person, everything's about me and you mm. are very much into your own ego, then you get ill. And this has now been shown by studies and science that the more uh, sense of togetherness and belonging we have and the more we-centered people we are, the healthier and happier we become. And then there's one other quote. I'm going to just share one other quote from him because I think it's sure. really important and every single um, scientist should pay attention to this. And this is actually by Karl Popper, who actually is a professor of science and philosophy and physics from London School of Economics. And his uh, quote, which I think is so, so important because with my work, what I do, um, it's all about this. And that is that knowledge advances not by repeating known facts, but by refuting false dogmas. You understand? So knowledge stays still if we just regurgitate the same thing over and over and over again without actually questioning whether it's right or wrong. And this is what the medical industry has been doing uh, for many, many years because it makes a lot of money. All right. Mm -hmm. They've just been repeating known facts that are completely not true when you look at it like actually scientifically and that these these have become false dogmas and unless we all get together and actually question what these companies are doing the the science is not going to change so there we go got it got it really really inspiring so action tribe i hope you are taking note of this uh, and this is an epiphany really uh, which uh, neeraj mentioned to us is that if you're looking at wellness there's a we in wellness and it's all about community because in community we 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 thrive in community we're able to really express our emotions feelings thoughts um, as well as uh, get some wisdom of what to eat what not to eat things like that but if we are solitary if we find ourselves alone that's the I in illness and so as we uh, move ahead uh, in terms of uh, learning what's best for our bodies and our mind it's important uh, as we're learning uh, not just to promote the existing wisdom that's status quo but also to challenge the false dogmas and to build that sense of awareness amongst everyone and that's exactly what this show is about uh, and that's exactly what we are going to continue doing as well so thanks a lot for sharing that wonderful perspective uh, Neeraj and and with that, let us begin. So my first question, how did you end up getting referred to as uh, the renegade pharmacist? 
Okay, yeah, so it's a little bit of a story, so I'll try and make this as concise as possible. But I actually was a community pharmacist years ago, and uh, what happened was I was so disillusioned with my job, I was so stressed out, I just actually was so disillusioned with with the healthcare system. I just saw people going away with shopping bags full of drugs every month, and they didn't seem to be getting better. So... Me being the kind of person I am, I wanted to make my job a bit more satisfying. So I set up uh, looking for ways to actually help my patients. And I, because I actually felt really helpless in the that, that medical system, um, you know, that we've been, which is full of um, false dogmas. Mm. And I actually discovered actually a very simple method just by writing shopping lists for patients based on their conditions for food, for groceries, um, I had amazing transformations. I got a lot of people off um, all kinds of medications just by changing their diet and teaching people actually how to make their own food rather than eating microwave meals all day long and drinking fizzy drinks. It's mm-hmm. amazing how many people that's their their normal existence. So that actually got me fired for my first job. And actually, then eventually I ended up getting promoted to the head office of a very large supermarket chain in the UK. I came up with this healthy shopping list system and it was about to go through until uh, like I lost a bit of support there because the the director who hired me, he basically left for another company. And I was on my own um, among a lot of uh, people who just didn't really want me to be there. I was very much uh, challenging the status quo. Uh, you know, like I, this is back in 2010. So the stuff I was talking about um, is not, I mean, the things I'm talking about now in terms of diet and exercise and not eating junk food, but believe it or not, back then was still pretty kind of underground knowledge. And, you know, people didn't really understand like the impact that all this sugar has on, on, on health. So I got called, the renegade then my ideas were considered too renegade so i actually i ended up um long story short i ended up creating um a website to get my knowledge out there because i couldn't do it through the corporate world so i had to do it on my own and i just thought of that word renegade as being a really cool word um so i just uh, and it really like kind of um pretty much sums up what i'm about and so I called myself the renegadepharmacist.com. That was a website. And then that eventually ended up becoming uh, quite a well-known site because of that infographic that went massively viral around the world. And suddenly now I was known as Niraj Naik, a.k.a. the Renegade Pharmacist everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how it happened. <laughs> great, great. Thanks a lot for sharing that story with us. And what I find uh, quite fascinating is that instead of just writing a prescription to uh, to the people, you, you, you wrote them a shopping list, which was what to buy, what diet to have, you know, in terms of where they were and where they wanted to go and how to make your own food, which uh, is so important, uh, yeah. you know, not just to make your own food, but also to avoid, like you mentioned, sugar, can, which can be so uh, detrimental to our health. And you often say that we all have an inner pharmacist, uh, correct? So could you elaborate yeah, a bit on that? we have inner pharmacy. We have our own inner pharmacy. So if you study like the origins of yoga and tantra, actually, it was um, the rishis discovering that we all have 
arena pharmacy and we actually mm-hmm. already have within us everything single substance that exists in nature we just haven't been taught how to use it how to tap into it and the practice of like tantra tantric breathing and yoga asanas and you know the, the meditation aspects of it is all designed to help you uh, tap into your own physiology and because the idea of of um of yoga the the original philosophy based on this uh, even predates the vedic kind of um scriptures was that um that we are everything is energy every single thing is energy we're all the same energy so we can actually manipulate and control this energy and that's what pranayama is energy control using our breath so this is actually the method that I've I've developed now is using the breath as going back to our ancient kind of um ancestral roots of yoga tantra pranayama um I've really found that there's a certain set of breathing techniques if you know how to use it yeah. it actually gives you the ability to switch off stress make your own blood pressure medication uh you know make your own sleeping pills lower inf- inflammation and uh even lower blood sugar and all of these things can be done just by learning how to tap in to the power of the breath mhm so thanks a lot for sharing now you've you've shared that there are different types of uh breathing that we can do right stemming from uh tantra or yoga um and also the vedas now for people who are new to this field how is this different from meditation as what is commonly popular these days so meditation is just one one of the branches of yoga so mm-hmm. imagine yoga is like the oldest personal development school that ever existed right and it had many different branches to it so one of the branches the one that everyone seems to focus on uh probably because it's easiest to to teach and to scale in a in the yoga industrial complex that we have today uh is the asanas which is one little aspect of hatha yoga right. so hatha yoga is one one of the branches there are other branches like bhakti yoga karma yoga mantra yoga and uh, raja yoga and the meditation aspect was just part like little components of of that of uh of raja yoga they you go a lot more deeper into the meditation and so what's happened is meditation got separated and you know it's a, it's kind of a bit confusing there's so many different types of meditation but if you look at what meditation actually means it actually means the art of single focus doing one thing uh over and over again with absolute single focus Mm-hmm. So playing a guitar and getting lost into that that whole um uh you know the 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 world you go into this other world that you go into if you play the guitar I don't know if you play the guitar if you play any kind of instrument when you just play it and you just yeah. get lost in the melody and the music that you're making it's like time stands still and you disappear and you go into another world another planet right and mm-hmm. actually you know somebody might be shouting at you across the room and they won't be able to get your attention because you're so in that trance. Well, meditation is that is that is that feeling. It's that going into such a flow. And there's many ways to do it. So the meditation we all uh, know commonly is this uh, kind of Buddhist style of mindfulness like sitting there and just yeah. focusing on your breath or 
just allowing the thoughts to be like a river and flow and quieting and stilling the thoughts. Well, you know, that's that's one w- way of doing. That's one way of meditating. That has one uh, application. But there are many different ways to meditate. Like Osho made famous this dynamic meditation, this active meditation, where you, you do like breathing techniques and move and dance and and uh and you get into these very heightened states of consciousness mm. but again you're, you're just focusing on one thing one ritual and getting lost in it immersed into it and what meditation trains you to do in my opinion uh by really going deep on one thing and having singular focus it first it builds concentration the muscle of concentration but what that allows you to do is it trains you to go deep on things. Now we live in such an ADHD world that we are very like much like uh, surface people. So we we don't master anything anymore. We don't spend time enough, long enough to actually master things. So all of the greatest people in the world who made all the inventions and made the, the great uh, works of art and music and things, they went deep on their subjects. And meditation mm. trains you to go really deep and become a master of something. And that's really important, actually, now, more than ever. Wonderful. So I love the definition that you shared for meditation, and I think it'll help a lot of people who especially are new to this topic understand what exactly meditation entails. And you said it is just about, firstly, focusing on one particular thing and then getting lost in it. And that thing could be what is uh, commonly known, uh, the common type of meditation that we see, which is uh, mindfulness, but it also can be, like you've uh, referenced, um, music, getting lost in music or getting lost uh, in running or in other any other field. And that, like you've suggested, leads to mastery. To be able to focus on just one thing and to be able to you know disconnect from everything else uh, in a way leads to mastery. So could you talk to us about Soma breath? What exactly is Soma breath? Yeah, so Soma is actually... Uh, my system of yoga, which is not—I I don't want to say mine—it's like it's—it's it's the ancient uh, system of yoga that I've just brought in, you know, into more awareness. And it, at the moment, soma breath is really focused on the pranayama component because uh, I find it's the one thing that is missing a lot in yo- current yoga right now. We are moving into soma yoga, but. The, mm-hmm. At the moment, the big focus is on pranayama because that's really what helped me significantly, um, and it works very fast. It helps me very much when I had the chronic illness, and it works very quickly, so you get very instant results. And mm-hmm. so pranayama comes from a time that we still don't really know, okay, like for sure where it comes from. It's like thousands and thousands of years old. It, it predates uh, the Vedas, and you know, it's a, it's a time when yoga and tantra and and these shamanic kind of practices were happening, which was considered like the golden age of the planet, where there was far few people on the planet, people lived in harmony with nature, and they were much more like shamanic kind of cultures. So they were uh, actually using a lot of psychedelics. Okay, mm-hmm. so the psychedelic ritual has actually been. Uh, reference in the Rig Veda over 50,000 times. Rig Vedas are the oldest uh, known text um, that we have of, of a religious uh, origin. And again, it, it's thousands and thousands of years old, like 5,000 plus years old. So 
in there, there were 50,000 references plus to Soma, this entheogenic uh, ritual that the Rishis would take to have divine communication with the gods and download all the, the, the knowledge that actually went in as hymns and songs uh, right. into the Rigveda. Originally, it was just uh, sung to the tribes, and then eventually it was like written down. Uh, many, many, maybe thousands of years later, it was actually written down. But it was an oral tradition. And uh, according to the legend, the Soma actually begins to run out one day. And you imagine mm. people were living in this like, kind of Garden of Eden, and these shamanic tribes start to move out. A civilization starts to form. Uh, they, people start to move out and explore other lands. At this point, uh, the Soma starts to run out because maybe it only grew in certain regions or maybe some other higher forces uh, started to control the supply of it, much like is happening right now, right? To yeah. get uh, any kind of psychedelic these days, it's really, really difficult. It's like illegal. So maybe things like this started to happen as, as, as um, society and civilization started to become more developed. And what happened was because everyone was so hooked on this substance, they all went mad, actually. They went crazy. And the one who went the most crazy was God Indra. God Indra mm -hmm. ordered everyone to go inwards to discover how to create the Soma within because they realized actually we can, we have to break this dependency to substances if we want to truly be liberated and free. So that is the origins of Tantra. And the breath, uh, the breath work that you find in Tantra is the origins of pranayama, yoga, and meditation, Buddhism. All of these things stem from man's quest to reaching these ecstatic states uh, without taking substances. So I've just brought back um, some of this knowledge in a form that is very accessible. I'm a music producer, so I add a lot of music to it. And mm. we've created a journey. It's called the Awakening Journey, which happens over 21 days. And it progressively trains you according to this one special protocol called intermittent hypoxic training. Okay, intermittent hypoxic training is something, a phenomenon that's been studied by um, uh, Russians, mm -hmm. scientists, since the like 70s. And they were, they were very competitive. They wanted to make their athletes the best in the world and they observed that people who went up into high altitudes and came back down they would actually feel better from any kind of issues that they might have and their fitness and endurance improved as well so they wanted to know what was going on and they realized that up in high altitudes the oxygen levels are much lower than they are on sea level so what was happening was they were going to low oxygen environments and coming back down again and in the process of going to a low oxygen environment the body was creating an adaptive response to less than normal oxygen. All right. Mm -hmm. The other people who do this, actually, who train at these sort of high altitudes and display these incredible strengths are the Nepalese Gurkha Army. OK, they are actually hired by the British and Americans to win their battles. Okay? Yeah. They are like the, the strongest, considered the strongest army in the world. And they train at high altitudes. They are extremely efficient at using oxygen. All right. And here's the thing. What they've discovered is that this intermittent hypoxic training, if it's done it according to the right protocol, you actually train the, the, the battery packs in your cells and mitochondria to become extremely efficient using oxygen. Now, right. now check this out. The mitochondria, um, they are just like a fire, like a furnace. 
So oxygen comes in and it burn it burns glucose to produce energy, right? This is this is the inner fire. This is the energy that we can't live without. As I said, everything is energy, right? So the mitochondria is almost like our portal into the energetic world, the realms of of energy, right? So mm-hmm. we need to have very efficient mitochondria if we want to live our best. So what they've discovered was um, that this mitochondria is just like a normal fire. If you have too much oxygen, the fire burns you bright, and it actually causes damage to the cell. All right, it causes right. free radicals, oxidative stress. If the ox- if the fire doesn't burn at all, if there's not enough oxygen, then there's no energy. So we need the right balance of oxygen. That's why it's called pranayama, right? Energy control. So we're like bringing balance to the energy. That's what Ayurveda is about. All of these techniques are about bringing energetic balance to the body by making extremely efficient mitochondria. So if you train the mitochondria through these special techniques, and in pranayama, the most revered technique of all is called kumbhaka. Right, Kumbhaka is breath retention. So there's different ways of holding your breath, either with no air in the lungs or with air in the lungs. Okay, there's different types of Kumbhaka, and then there's Kevala Kumbhaka, which is where you cease the cease to uh, have to breathe. Like you, you don't feel like you need to breathe at all. It's like the ultimate state of samadhi is where you become so efficient as oxygen that you don't need to breathe a lot. And what do what do the superhuman yogis have in common with then the Gurkhas and these Russian athletes who train in high altitude, they all live in high altitude. These superhuman yogis mm-hmm, yeah. they talked about in like Yoga Dhamma's autobiography yogi, they all live up in the Himalayas, right? They live in very, very high altitudes. Same as the Tibetan monks. Why is that? Because there's very low ox- atmospheric oxygen. More, too much oxygen poisons the body. It's toxic to the body. causes cell damage, DNA damage, cancer and chronic diseases and aging, all right? But if you can become really efficient using oxygen, then you need to breathe less. If you need to breathe less, it means less damage to the body, and then you become immortal. And that was actually the goal of yoga, is you become so efficient using oxygen that you can literally cheat death because you stop getting the damage from the oxygen. But that obviously, that's, that's legendary stuff. But on a real life application, through our awakening protocol, like it's it's, it's actually very fun to do because of the music that we include with it. But right. it actually takes you into a, a, um, a system which trains you to become very efficient using oxygen, and you'll progressively be able to hold your breath for longer periods, and you'll see the the the, the transformation that happens as a result. People become more. Um, well, that some sometimes in some cases their their chronic uh, health issues are based on because of uh, too much stress in the body reverses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they become have more energy, have more stamina uh, to get stuff done. So they become more efficient in life. They become more successful. And here's the thing. So as I was saying about creating the soma within, was yeah. it was one of the goals, well the goal of tantra of yoga. Well. When you hold your breath for a long enough period of time, you lower your oxygen levels to a point where you get to such a point that it's the same as the atmospheric oxygen up in high altitudes like Everest, right? Mm-hmm. And if you hold it for long enough, okay, it actually triggers the release of DMT, our own endogenous DMT in the brain. 
and you literally have a psychedelic trip. And that's, that is the definition of samadhi. But you have to hold it for long enough and lower the oxygen for long enough to trigger this response. Because basically what happens is your brain thinks you're about to die, but you're not because you're so efficient using oxygen. You kind of trick the brain and right. you produce this, this DMT effect, you know, this psychedelic like awakening, which happens, which actually uh, quite a few people who do the awakening protocol experience. And what also can happen at this point is that we have stem cells in the body, right? Stem cells are cells that can turn into any other cell in the body. Yeah. Uh, we don't use them very much, okay? And they tend to hide in the bone marrow in places where there's very low oxygen because they hate oxygen, all right? Mm -hmm. So when you create systemic hypoxia by holding your breath in the right way, and you have to do it a special way, you have to do it correctly, otherwise it actually can cause some harm, uh, it basically can wake up the stem cells and then that can go to areas that need rejuvenation, healing, and you can even grow new brain cells. So using yoga asanas um, and energy locks, you can move blood flow with all this fresh uh, blood with uh, full of stem cells up into the brain and actually stimulate the growth of new brain cells, neurogenesis. Okay, and that way what happens is you change your brain and that's actually the goal of meditation as well. One of the the main goals of tantric Buddhism, actually, and this this tantra from Buddha, from the Tibet, is actually to uh, change the brain. Because Buddha realized that if you want to change reality, mm -hmm. you have to change the brain itself. You have to change the hard disk, right? If you imagine we are a, a super efficient biocomputer, we have a hard disk and operating system, and our operating system and our hard disk are one and the same. And in order to upgrade our thinking, we need to upgrade the hard disk as well. We have to go from a PC to a Mac. That's the, mm. And that's literally what the system of yoga, meditation, pranayama, all of these things were designed to do, was to take you from being a PC to becoming a Mac. <laughs> no, offense, no offense to the PCs. Is, but, you know, <laughs> that's just a little joke. Yeah. No, no. I mean, thanks a lot for sharing. A lot of, lot of information over here in Action Tribe. I hope you are taking note because uh, Neeraj provided us not just the scientific perspective uh, in terms of what, what the research suggests, but also the historical and the mythological perspective of Soma, uh, which all started because they needed to find a way to create Soma, which is the nectar of life, from within rather than externally and of, of course science says a lot to the mitochondria you know burn glucose right using oxygen but too much of oxygen and uh, it's not really good for the body so how do you go about training the mitochondria which is a power powerhouse of the body to use this oxygen much more effectively and again Neeraj that was very fascinating that you said that uh, the similarity between uh, the Russian um, athletes and maybe a yogi and a Gurkha is that they all live at a very high altitude and i remember as a kid i did uh visit uh i did go on a on a, on a trek once uh to the himalayas and i visited nice. uh badrinath and kedarnath and all these amazing places rishikesh and, and i and i and i remember that uh, they said that these yogis used to be there throughout the year especially when there is snow and they would sit in the caves and they would meditate and train their bodies and as we're learning trained in their minds as well so really yes. fascinating and thanks a lot uh, for sharing all of this uh, now in your program it, it's a 21 day program right 21 day 
uh, Awakening Breath program. What's the significance of uh, 21? Have you found uh, that well, it works we're better? Following, we're following a, um, a protocol created by the Russians using machines to okay. get the most maximum benefit in the minimum time um, of this intermittent hypoxia. What I also found was just that when you do something for 21 days every day, you just become really good at it, and then it becomes a habit mm. for life. They call it the 40-day sadhana in um, in the more like kind of uh, yogic terms. But uh, I I find that around 20 21 days um, is a great way to get into a habit, and it's right. long enough time as well uh, to see all of these additional benefits to your life. So if you set an intention at the beginning of that 21 days, say you. You want to get a certain result in your life. Maybe it's a right. contact you want to manifest, or maybe it's um, a something you've been holding back, like a health challenge you're trying to overcome. I find that it gives you enough time to mm-hmm. see some amazing benefits, and it's not like too too long, and it's not too short. It's like it's the ideal time. To, to really get people to, into a groove, you know, with these techniques. And then it becomes like a lifelong thing. So over right. 21 days, you come together, you get in, involved with the community, you get to know a lot of the people who you're doing this with because you're doing it together with a group. It's not just you on your own. And it's just a great way to connect with others as well. And we have many friends now um, who have been made through the community from doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Got it, got it. Definitely. I mean, it seems like the right uh, amount of time, right? And sometimes when there's a program that's about, uh, I, guess, I guess, 12 weeks long, uh, one might say, oh, am I really going to do it? Uh, 12, 16 weeks seems like a lot. And on the other hand, one week might be too less. So 21 days seems just like just the right amount. Uh, could you give us an overview of what happens during the three weeks? Um, you know, how does it unfold? Yeah, sure. Certainly. So uh, the beginning is uh, all about setting your intentions. And as I said, like if, what we don't tend to get when it when we're doing things like meditation and all that um, is an instructor who really understands the nature of reality and how we can, with the right intention, create more probability of the things that we really want to happen. I call it the system of magic. Okay, and you can imagine these rishis back in the day, these yeah. shamans, they were magicians. Okay, they they knew how to, to, to bend reality, you know, and yep. these practices were went hand in hand with that. So, and we're not talking ben, literally bend reality. We're talking metaphorically. They were able to make things happen. And the law of attraction, all this stuff, I believe, stems from these ancient kind of rituals that people used to do. And also what I do is I actually have brought back to the surface uh a way to call things into your life, okay, based mm. on really understanding what it is that you really want, okay, and letting that unfold without attachment. So the first first uh, day, actually, when we start, is you, you do a practice called the Average Perfect Day Techniques, this meditation that actually helps you envision exactly what it is that would be your, like, average perfect day, like a day which... You could do over and over and over again without any kind of limitations. Okay, so no financial limitations, no health limitations, and it's got to be an average day. So it can't be like extreme days, like 
which aren't sustainable, like, you know, taking mm. those drugs and going to Las Vegas. We're talking about sustainable average days. So what, what happens is people start to think differently. And I always challenge people with what they want. And this is what happens with a group because quite often what we think we want uh, from our head is not what the heart wants. And we really connect in with the heart and find out our truth. And you'll find that actually what we want is more sense of belonging, community, friends, more quality time, right? And yeah. better, sometimes it's like better weather and living somewhere sunny, right? Like I was in England, so that was one of the things. So I get people to really start dreaming up like and conjuring images of their ideal life, but really not like if, if it is like buying Lamborghinis and Ferraris, there has to be a give back as well. So why the why behind it as well? What are you going to do for the planet in return for these gifts that you're going to get? So we really start going into like the laws of like vibration and, and give and take and, and doing unto others who sweat to be done to yourself. And that helps like set the scene, the basis of the meditation. The meditation then has three phases to it. So the first week is all about preparing the, the physical body for the big changes because we, the awareness has to be that the body and the mind are one. So the quality of our thinking is also dependent on our physical body and our health. So we learn to tap into our emotions in the first week and how to raise our vibrational energy, our emotional state. And we learn to um, actually like condition the body and wake up like dormant parts of the body. So during this hypoxic state, the first week, what happens is you start to wake up like blood vessels that haven't even been used before. And you start to wake up capillaries right. and blood flow in the brain. And you start to get more blood flow in the brain. You start actually becoming, uh, you get better cognitive function. So people start to get actually even just in the first week, some like big aha moments and sudden realizations and a new sense of energy as well. And then the second week is all about going deeper with that. And really working on this this heart-brain connection, like really getting optimum blood flow to the brain. And you start to see people really start to get visions at this point and like downloads and inspirations. And then the third week is all about connecting with the soma within. This is the big week. This is the week where we really take everything we've learned and, and start to really manifest what it is that we want. And during this week, what quite often happens is people start to get really weird synchronicities in their life and divine downloads and chance encounters and just really cool stuff happens. And and people actually sometimes have like absolute full blown spiritual experiences where they've they feel like they've gone into a spirit world and they've talked to a higher power or different entities and things. So that can happen, too. And. What this happens is over the three weeks is it just trains you to become more and more efficient using oxygen. And you'll, you'll notice that actually you'll be able to hold your breath for a lot longer periods of time. Or you'll be able to do an orm that lasts for a very long period of time compared to before you started. And we use like um, monitors to monitor your progress. So one of the best biofeedbacks is how long you can hold your breath or how long mm. you can hold a single note like an orm. And then um, another biofeedback is uh, these pulse oximeters where you can measure your blood oxygen levels and you can see how your oxygen levels um, are going down 
uh, as a result of doing the breath retentions. So there's a lot of biofeedback. There's heart rate variability that we measure as well. And you'll see that a lot of people's heart rate variability scores go up. This is a measure of the strength of your heart and resilience to stress. And, yeah, we, we help people basically become their own gurus. That's the whole point of it. You, you, you use the tools that are out there and your breath and things like this to tap into your autonomic nervous system and become your own guru. That's ultimately what we're about. Awesome. That seems really, really uh, interesting and exciting. So, so my question is, if we could go back in time, how did you first discover breathwork? Like, where were you and what's the story like? Yeah. So what happened was I had a chronic illness called Alzheimer's colitis. It left me housebound for a year. And literally, mm. I was on the toilet like uh, 40 times a day, bleeding. I had lo- lost like 20 kg in weight. I was a total mess. And I'd completely surrendered to the medical system. This was back in 2011. Like, it's a long story how it all happened, unfolded, but it was a major challenge I went through. And I was ready to give it all up. Actually, what happened was I, I lost a lot of faith in humanity. Because I had got all the way up to the head office of this big corporation. I thought I was going to do a lot of good in the world. And they didn't want to do this um, project in the end. I ended up coming over with this massive sense of disillusionment and lack of like connection to, to the spirit. And I just felt like I'd been cut off energetically from my higher self. And boom, like a lightning bolt, I got hit with this chronic illness called osteosicolitis. And literally for a year, I was housebound. And I had literally got given two choices by a doctor. Either you become a guinea pig for a drug that hasn't been used before, or you um, can have your colon removed and use a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. Obviously, I didn't want to do either of those things. And I thought this was the lowest I could possibly get. You know, this is, you couldn't get much lower than this. And there's this uh, saying that God, what it really means is a gift of desperation. God seems to come to you at the time when you're really low, right? A lot of people, they have these sudden miraculous kind of recoveries and things at the lowest points where they mm-hmm. have this, um, uh, this uh, saying, um, the dark night of the soul. I had, a, I had one of those moments. Yeah. And uh, what happened was by sheer fate, and now close friend in our family, Swami Abhikananda, she came to the rescue and she said there's a third path. If you want to follow this path, it means, um, you know, going back to your ancient roots of yoga and uh, tantra and pranayama and Ayurveda. And uh, I will teach you exactly how to heal yourself. And if you get healed, then you will become an amazing role model to the rest of the planet. Because you're a pharmacist, you have a scientific background, you're incredibly motivated and driven, you want to help other people, and now you have, uh, you'll have some evidence uh, from your own personal transformation. So I just took on board everything she said, followed it. Within a few months, I was cured. Um, I did a lot, of bit, a lot of my own little research as well and started to really discover this whole mind-body connection, the power of music, and music as a tool for therapy. And really learned so much about my body by going through this um, crazy challenge. And that's mm. when I discovered breathwork, pranayama, because pranayama was the key. That was the key. Because breath 
is the one thing we that runs on autopilot, but we also can consciously control. So with that knowledge, we can actually use the breath to control the autonomic nervous system. And autonomic nervous system is what controls our immune system, our metabolic processes, our body temperature, our heart rate, all of these things we take for granted. So what happens is chronic disease, our autoimmune disease, is often what it is, is a result of intense inner frustration, right? Mm -hmm. Frustration, anger, hatred. And all of those things start to impact on your cells on a cellular level because each cell has a consciousness, right? It has a cell uh, membrane around it, which is like a brain. The brain of the cell is the membrane all right, of the cell. And it ha each individual cell is a co colony, a community of cells. And these cells love each other so much that they come together and they organize themselves into this perfect organism called the human body, right? However, if the mind, which is actually a, a uh, also a um, partly a manifestation of our environment, okay, if the mind is hating, 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 hating with that energy of anger, frustration, and, and negative emotion, then the cells start going, getting confused, and the cells start hating each other. So what happens is then they, they create autoimmune disease, and the autoimmune condition is just simply your cells fighting each other and having a battle with each other and your immune system starts to attack you thinking mm -hmm. that you are a disease. So the way to trigger that is that you have to start calming the nervous system down, switching off the stress and using the breath, you can actually tap into physiology, turn off the stress, go into this profound meditation where we can actually communicate with our subconscious mind, autonomic nervous system and tell it all is well. You've probably seen that Indian movie, um, Three Idiots, I think it is, and he's always yeah. saying all is well, all is well. There's a reason for that, because he was very enlightened. And actually, that's all you got to say to yourself, like every day, all is well, because our heart panics, our gut has a gut instinct, and our, our mind likes to think a lot. And it gets filled with a lot of uh, opinions from the outside world, which don't often serve your best interests. So when we can tap back into our heart and tell it, and, and you know, and tell it not to panic, and we can tap into our, um, our gut and listen to our gut, and we can start listening to the, all of the consciousness of all of ourselves, okay, that's when we can really become free and liberated. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Neeraj, uh, through this program, I've heard that many, uh, like you mentioned as well, people have uh, a peak human experience, right? They experience that uh, that state, that ecstatic state. Uh, so what would you define as a peak human experience and how is that uh, maybe connected to the soma molecule? Yeah, so the peak human experience is the highest vibrational state. Let's say emotion is an equation, energy in motion, all right? Yep. So we experience life through emotion, through feeling, okay? Mm -hmm. And the very low emotions like anger, hatred, jealousy, fear, these are like low vibe emotions, right? But there's a lot of energy associated with them as well. But they, they cause a different chemistry in the body, okay? Yep. They create adrenaline as well as cortisol, which causes contraction in the body and blood doesn't move, okay? Now, on the other yep. end of the scale, where we have energy like passion 
and joy, okay, these states, okay, um, create a different biochemistry in the body, which is adrenaline plus DHEA. DHEA is an expander. It makes you dilate and wakes everything up. And you go into things and flow in a flow state with passion. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you have a lot of um, enthusiasm for life. So using the breath and rhythm and music, we can actually change our emotional state by actually changing the biochemical process that are going on in the body. So we actually, we actually tap into the chakras. Your show is called The Seven Chakras. Well, The Seven yeah. Chakras are a map of our endocrine glands. And through these special breathing techniques, we can actually harness the power of all these endocrine glands and actually change the biochemical state of the entire physiology and raise our vibration. And when we do that, our emotion changes. And if our emotions change, then our, our outlook on life changes. So also bringing it back to the soma molecule, the soma molecules released during like kind of these like in the invocation of the dream state or the near-death experience. Okay, so you actually produce a lot of this endogenous DMT before you dream every night. So, mm-hmm. but you also produce it when you're going to die. All right, so we're actually tapping into this. And by combining all of these different modalities of uh, breath work with music and sexual energy, we actually raise our emotional state but we can get into such profound states of meditation by tapping into this DMT molecule, okay, that we literally have the ability to change the shape of the brain. And here's the thing. So neurogenesis, which is the ability for brain cells to be formed, new brain cells to be formed, okay, mm-hmm. it occurs the best in the state of orgasm. So the state of mm-hmm. orgasm is actually gives the best uh, chemistry for the brain to change like oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine in large right. amounts allows us to change and actually if you look at the high ritual magic of like the ancient occult kind of people like Alistair Crowley um, they were all about sex magic and actually mm. you could say see that these sex magic rituals may have been kind of hidden from us from, from people um, by religious kind of um, uh, organized religious systems and stuff like the Vatican who very much suppress sexuality and yeah. they maybe didn't want us to know the power of sexual energy and how we can use this to manifest and to enhance our life and this really brings us back now to um, the, the most important question that you need to ask every single morning right because this will determine your success in life and whether you're healthy or not and that is Am I waking up every day with enthusiasm to do a hard day's work? Or am I doing this because I have to do it? I feel like I have to do it. So if you're always waking up feeling like you have to do something, then the problem with that is that you're constantly stressed. And that constant state mm-hmm. of stress will lead to disease and becoming lonely and disconnected. Whereas if you're waking up with absolute enthusiasm and passion, and passion is the number one predictor of, of success okay, in life, then you will be healthy, you'll be happy, you'll be strong, you'll be able to take on any challenge that life faces you and throws at you. And this is what SOMA is about. It's about getting you back and giving you the tools so that you are vibing so high that you're always passionate about life. And here's the thing. A lot of people who do the SOMA Awakening, they get so passionate about this that they go and become instructors 
and they learn our uh, soma breath awakening certification and then they do the yoga course and they go out and actually teach people they give back to the community by teaching others and sharing and then that's mm. the way to truly be li- liberated is when you are giving back with uh, something that's helped you so much thanks a lot for sharing so action tribe music rhythm ancient wisdom breathwork and so much more that's what today's interview is themed on and to re- read the entire show notes for today's episode including the inspirational uh, quote the book recommendation and certain nuggets of wisdom that you might not have been able to capture right away visit my7chakras.com forward slash 268 that's my7chakras.com forward slash 268 Success is my duty, obligation, and responsibility. This is a great quote by Grant Cardone. Action Tribe, this is a quote that has been on my mind over the last few weeks. And it's a different quote than what I normally share, but it's one that is really important. Challenges, difficulties, and obstacles tend to come out of nowhere, right? When least expected. And that's something we cannot predict. And in many cases, we can't really control. However, what we can control is how we respond to the challenges in our life. And this quote, uh, it teaches us to take full responsibility for what's happening in our life and boldly make a commitment to success. Because in life, it's not about what you will achieve as a result of your success, but mostly about the people who are depending on you, your children, your parents, your spouse, and the people in your community. When you identify your why, you'll be able to tap into the strength that you never knew existed inside of you all along. So repeat after me. Success is my duty, obligation, and responsibility. And let's overcome all our challenges. So Neeraj, speaking about going through a major life challenge, uh, if you could talk to us about one life challenge that you've experienced, and how did you overcome it? What did, uh, how did you go through it? Well, I think I uh, kind of uh, explained that before is um, the illness. I think illness, the mm-hmm. illness was one of the, the biggest life challenges for me. But I'll actually, rather than going back into what I've already said, uh, what happened was I actually had a very strange experience. So... About a year and a half ago, I went to Delhi to mm-hmm. go to this uh, place called Zorba the Buddha, where they do this darkness retreat, where you uh, are in absolute darkness for seven days and seven nights, and you do these tantric mm-hmm. uh, and yoga kind of rituals in the dark. And, and it, I literally went into it without knowing anything about it, and I just trusted right. my friend who's a facilitator. And literally a few hours before I was going back in, suddenly I got this relapse of the osteocolitis for the first time in years. So I was like, holy shit, literally. Um, you know, what the hell am I going to do? Because, you know, you're going into an absolute darkness. If you get osteocolitis in that state, it's like horrible. But she said to me, she said, this is probably a ghost apparition of this illness coming back so that you can karmically clear it once and for all. So I was like, okay, that sounds a bit woo-woo, but I'll, I'll trust you. So I went in, and what unfolded after that was beyond, like, comprehension. Like, first two days are absolute hell. The third day, because you start to produce DMT naturally in the brain. Yeah. 
The third day, I started to have these profound lucid visions. And then this overwhelming sense of forgiveness and compassion came over me. And what happened was every time I was doing these tantric rituals, the intention I set was fully on forgiving every single person that I've had a conflict with in my past, in my whole life, my parents, my my um, teachers, you know, the, the pharmacists, the, the world, the government, everyone. I just made huge, huge forgiveness rituals. And most of all myself, because I've always been very hard on myself, tough on myself. It's like an Indian thing. We always kind of like being immigrants in a in a kind of a you know a Western country, we we face a lot of challenges. So we we tend to become very hard working and hard on ourselves as well at the same time. So um, the most forgiveness had to be done was for myself. And I had had a really bad like emotional breakup with an ex girlfriend. And that definitely stayed with me karmically. So I had a lot of guilt over that, um, the way it ended. So I did a lot of work on that. And literally, I feel like I had a profound spiritual experience in the darkness. And it gave me such a deep insight into the spiritual world. Um, and this, the, the, the true, in my opinion, the true awareness, the fact that we live in a multidimensional planet, universe, where there is spirits, there are entities, there are things out there, um, you know, good and bad, who either are here to serve us and help us or to do the opposite. And we're always able to tap into these. And there's a lot of legendary things that we may brush off as being woo-woo or unconventional or out there. But I do think that there's a lot of truth that holds up uh, from my own experience of going in the darkness. And what it did as well was it, because I was doing a lot of the Soma work in there, um, was made me really understand uh, the power of pranayama and yoga at tapping into our core of our being and our true essence and being able to overcome anything. Because what happened was after, as soon as I came out of the darkness within two days, I was back to normal again, which is very, very unusual because Something like osteoclitis is chronic usually and it lasts for months and you very, very rarely do you go back into remission that fast and boom, I was back in remission. So, there you go. Wonderful. <laughs> so, based on what you've just shared, what is that one life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners? One life lesson is, um, is to know, it really is to know yourself. So, there's a funny saying that goes, you know, if you are a monkey and you can accept that you're a monkey, right, then you're going to go through life actually very comfortable and happy because mm-hmm. the moment you, you, are, you, you think you're a tiger when you're actually a monkey, um, you're going to always have to pretend to be someone you're not and you're going to be judged the whole of your life and being judged and having to kind of pretend to be something you're not and not being authentic leads to a lot of stress. And you'll see the most stressed out people on the planet are the ones who aren't aligned to who they truly are. And this has happened to mm-hmm. me in the past when I was working in the corporation, corporate world, that wasn't really me. You know, I'm not the face mm-hmm. of this big corporation and they don't match my values. So of course I was going to get sick, you know? So same thing goes with anyone out there. If you 
are not being true to yourself and, and you're not spending every day trying to figure out a little bit about who you truly are, right? you're going to go off on tangents in your life and not go to where you really want to be. And it's sometimes better just to be humble, have some humility and just accept that you're just a normal, average, simple, happy-go-lucky human being and you're in it like the rest of us and that there is no I, it's just we. And that's it. <laughs> got it. Got it. So a lot of uh, great lessons over here, Action Tribe. Uh, I hope you are listening right now. Uh, and what we're learning is that, uh, especially if you're going through um, through a healing journey, uh, a process of awakening, then you need to firstly be, be aware uh, of yourself, but also uh, face your fears and, and face your darkness quite literally in your case, uh, Neeraj, uh, but also realize that whenever you go through this healing process, you're going to come across a healing crisis. And at that time, you might feel that the situation is even worse than it was before, but realize that this is a healing crisis uh, where you purge um, your weaknesses and your challenges and, and you face your fears because beyond that is light and beyond that is a brand new uh, experience. So, Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. I think a lot of our listeners would be able to take uh, away something and implement it in their lives as well. And Action Tribe, I hope you're enjoying today's discussion as much as I am. And I hope you know a lot more about breath work and uh, conscious breathing and the historical context and the, and the science behind it uh, than before. Um, I'm learning more and more that one of the most uh, powerful forces uh, in the world is not out there, but in you, right? Inside your heart. And the more you realize it, the more it awakens. The more you use it through kindness and compassion and gratitude, which are really powerful forces, the more it lights up. And what I'm finding is that our heart has an evolved intelligence that allows it to communicate with other hearts around the world through the fabric of our collective consciousness. And that's how I'm communicating with you right now. You know, not through words, but through the light in my heart and in your heart as well. And very often we forget how powerful and healing our heart is uh, because, you know, over the years we've end, ended up living in the confines of our brain. But every once in a while, we should bring our awareness a few steps down and start spending more time in the warm chambers of our heart. Because once we awake, living and feeling from the heart and make that a habit, then life will never be the same. Because as Guy Finlay uh, once put, nothing glows brighter than the heart awakened to, to the light of love that lives within it. Right. Uh, so with that, we are now at the last but very important round for today, which is called the Wisdom Round. Uh, so Neeraj, what is the best piece of advice that you've received? The best piece of advice I've received, uh, other than all of the little nuggets that I've already shared today, is um, be totally honest. Like, always be absolutely honest. So this goes into like your work as well. So say you're an artist, okay? Like you've got to be really honest with the quality of what you feel you've created. And whether it's really your best. And if you're like, I'm a music musician and this, this can go to, this can be applied to any area of your life. But, um, like you only have one shot, right? Of getting it, of it, of it, you know, well, you only have one, really one shot 
to really make it if you're in, in such a competitive world uh, whatever you do so you might as well make it the best shot you possibly can but with that it requires you to be very discerning and you've got to not rush things and to be patient because when you focus on giving back to your highest and best ability like the universe strangely conspires to get you to that point and a lot of times people rush doing things they they think that they've got a golden uh you know uh, business idea and Deep down inside, they honestly know that it's not. But they still do it because either, you know, they get carried away, they've read too many uh, books like The Secret, things like that, um, or they have bad advice. So be totally honest with and really start to listen to your gut and get in tune with your body and, and what your entire chakra system is trying to tell you rather than just the, the one in your head. And once that happens, like... And you become aligned with that, like life becomes a lot more effortless. So, if you could turn back time and spend uh, one hour with any person who's currently dead or living, who would it be? Hmm. Great, great question. Who would I go back with time to? I think I would love to go back in time to the time of the ancient Rishi. I'd love to take. Um, Soma with Godindra. I think that would be fascinating. <laughs> Great. So what is one thing that you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before sleeping that has improved the quality of your life? Uh, so one thing I do when I wake up is, uh, well, let's let's say what I used to do and then, then what made me, what, what I do now. So what, sure. what I used to do when I was working as a pharmacist, because I didn't have very much time, I would jump straight out of bed, scoff a load of breakfast, rush out the door and drive to work for an hour, right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. I actually follow something called intermittent um, fasting. So I tend to hydrate myself. There's actually a, a Japanese custom is to hydrate the body before you have any solid food. So I do that. And then maybe an hour later, I would have my special magic uh, elixir, uh, which sets me off the rest of the day, which is um, the food or the nectar of the gods, in my opinion, which is um, two ingredients, uh, core ingredients, cacao and maca. And then a third ingredient, which is from our uh, native India, which is ghee, which is a staple in Ayurveda. You mix that up. With a, add a little bit of honey, add a little bit of coconut water, and boom, you have, um, I mean, sorry, coconut milk, and then you just blend it. You have to blend it with like, hot water. You have a drink that will replace your breakfast and make you full up for several hours. You won't need to eat breakfast. You won't need to even, sometimes you don't, I don't even have lunch, especially if you add like a decent amount of cacao or macaron ghee in it. And what happens is what we're doing is we're, we're, we're grieving the body the exact nutrition that it loves. So it's whole whole food nutrition. Cacao is one of the most potent foods that exists. Same as maca. Um, that's why they're called like the food of the gods in, in South America. And ghee is super potent, super rich in the exact fuel that your body loves, which is this fat, proper, like full fat, unadulterated fat, okay? Which is um, not this fake fat, trans fat that you find in factory-based foods, but this is the real 
uh, mm-hmm. stuff, which Ayurvedic doctors love. And it gives you the, exactly the right fuel. So you don't get this like spike. So I used to scoff like cornflakes and yeah. eat, you know, bread, toast with lots of um, jam and things and very sweet masala chai. You know, that used to be what I did. And that wasn't good. I'd get big spikes and then I'd eat McDonald's for lunch and stupid stuff like that. So, you know, that was like when I was many years ago as a pharmacist. But now I've become a bit wiser. The fact that we don't need a lot. We don't need a lot of food. We don't need um, that much to be um, at our best. You know, you just need to eat the right amount. Eat less, actually, and you will actually live longer and healthier. Got it. So I also do uh, intermittent fasting. I skip my breakfast, but uh, cacao, maca, ghee, honey, and coconut milk. I'm I'm definitely going to try that out. Yeah. Uh, so Neeraj, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Uh, one book. Uh, I would recommend, it's like my Bible of psychology, uh, which really helps you understand the uh, consciousness and the evolution of consciousness. And it's called Prometheus Rising by Robert Anton Wilson. Okay, it's actually based on a few books, but the, the main book it's based on is The Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness by Timothy Leary, who was a total psychonaut. He was the one who made uh, LSD very famous in the 60s. And the first psychologist to use LSD as psychotherapy, actually um, uh, sanctioned by the, the, the U.S. government. They actually funded him to do that research. And then they um, extradited him and made him into a convict uh, when he realized that actually uh, this is what all human beings should be doing, is like exploring consciousness uh, using psychedelics. And what happened was he wrote a book, which I believe is one of the best books. It's called The Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness. And it's based on the yogic system of the seven chakras and the eighth chakra being the ethereal plane. And uh, and I really recommend, I think you all also love this book because it really talks to you about the chakras from a psychological perspective as well and the evolution of the mind. Got it. Could you state the second book once again? I got the first book, Prometheus Rising. Yeah, Prometheus Rising is the is the more easy to understand version of okay. the Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness by Timothy Leary. Prometheus Rising is by Robert Anton Wilson. So Action Tribe, if you would like to get started right away by maybe listening to this book, and I'm not completely sure if this book is available Audible, but it's worth checking for sure because Audible is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to check out their service. They've got a range of books, uh, including The Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And you'll have to double check if Prometheus Rising is available on, on Audible, but otherwise you can always get it on Amazon as well. To download your free audiobook today, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book once again it's my seven chakras.com forward slash free book and start listening to your next book hmm. so Neeraj, thank you so much for joining us today uh before you go tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how we can find you yeah so uh you can find me at somabreath.com or the renegade pharmacist.com and you say there was a question what am i grateful for Yes, one thing that you are grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the breath. 
the ability to breathe and connect to the spirit. That's one thing I'm very grateful for. Because not much magic can happen when you tap into that. Wonderful, wonderful. So we'll have the links up in the show notes. And of course, it was a great uh, uh, experience chatting with you and learning so much more about uh, breathwork. Um, we, 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 we learned about uh, the science behind it, the historical context, the mythology, and also the research in people's lives. So it was a really uh, amazing experience. Action Tribe, to learn more about the 21-day awakening breath program, go to my7chakras.com forward slash 268 program. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 268 program. As soon as you visit the link, you'll be taken straight to the information page where you can learn more about the amazing work that Neeraj has done uh, where he blends uh, science and ancient wisdom and music and rhythm and breathwork it's all fascinating my7chakras.com forward slash 268 program Neeraj thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about breathwork and taking us one step closer to a human revolution thank you so much you are listening to my 7 chakras Go to my chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.